Church family, pray with me. Father, this is indeed our story. It is the only story that we know. It is the only story that we care to know. You are beautiful and you've made yourself known to us. You've gathered us here together this morning to sing about you, to preach about you, to listen to you, to be shaped by you. So we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the way that you have not left us alone, but that you've come to us. And so may that indeed be our song this morning and forevermore and for always. Thank you for this gathering, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Y'all can have a seat. Well, as Justin mentioned a minute ago, this is our last Sunday in the series on why we gather. That obviously doesn't mean that we stop gathering after this Sunday, but this is our last Sunday in this series. And next Sunday, we get to start into the book of Malachi. Malachi is a wonderful book that doesn't get enough attention, and so I'm excited for us to be able to jump into that next week. But as a way of uh, trying to wrap up this series and hold all things together a little bit, uh, we this morning are going to spend some time reflecting on how our gathering together Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, decade after decade in the church, century after century, and, and for all of us on into eternity, how all of this leading there functions as an appetizer for our great final lasting meal. Now, one of the things that I think is a little bit fun about this is if you've been paying attention to a few things that have happened, you may notice just how deep-rooted our Baptistness is. So, uh, two weeks into this series, we started talking about feasting. Because good Baptists can't talk about gathering without talking about eating. And so we talked about feasting on God's Word, how as we gather together, we are opening up the Scriptures, we're feasting on what God has said, and that brings nourishment to us. Uh, then a couple weeks later, we started talking and thinking about this banquet that the Lord's Supper is for us. Each time we partake, as we're given bread and as we're given wine, as we take part in Jesus' body and His blood poured out for us. And then last week, we had a great banquet uh, we had a great potluck over here as the community groups went at each other's throats and had a, a competition. And then this morning, we are going to be talking about our gathering functioning like an appetizer. So we like to eat, we like to think about eating, and, and thanks be to God, He points us in directions of eating. He promises, a great, promises us a great final banquet. And so this morning, I want to look at how our gathering functions like an appetizer. Now, to try to go ahead and flesh some of this metaphor out a little bit for us, it seems to me that appetizers do two main things. Right? The first thing that an appetizer does is it whets your appetite. So when you have an appetizer, it gives you an expectation, an understanding of what the coming meal is going to be like. In some sense, the coming meal is like the appetizer, only more so. So here, here's what I mean by that. 
you don't get served an appetizer of chips and salsa and then get handed a menu that's filled with Italian food, right? That, that doesn't fit. You don't get handed garlic breadsticks, open up the menu, and find enchiladas and fajitas and burritos. The appetizer is a reflection, a foretaste, a picture of what is to come. And what is to come is a, a continuation of the appetizer, only more so. And so this, at least in theory, when you have an appetizer, it assures you that the meal is going to be good, right? So you think about what meals do you not have appetizers for? Well, if you go to, oh, I don't know, Chick-fil-A, you know, the the overrated overrated chicken restaurant. If you go to Chick-fil-A, you don't get an appetizer. If you go to Taco Bell or Bush's or CeCe's, you don't get an appetizer. Why? Well, because that food is quick. It meets a need. It gets you on your way and you keep going. But it's not that the meal is that great and that glorious. You only get appetizers at meals that you have to wait for, at meals that aren't prepared yet, at meals where when you put in your order, they will then begin to make it and it'll be fresh. And while they make it, they give you an appetizer. And so the appetizer points to what the meal will be. And it also lets you know, hopefully at least, that the meal is going to be good. And so in that way, appetizers function, they work to whet your appetite for what is going to be coming next. But the second thing an appetizer does is it holds you over until the meal comes, right? So we all know this. A good meal can be ruined if we sit around a table hangry and frustrated and at each other's throats. We're angry, annoyed, and bitter when the meal comes. And no matter how good the meal is, when you start off the meal angry, bitter, and frustrated at one another, all of a sudden the meal is not so great anymore. And so the appetizer keeps the table in good spirits, keeps people from getting too hungry. It keeps us together while we wait for the good and glorious meal to be brought out to us. So appetizers whet our appetites and they hold us over until the meal arrives. So with those two things in place, that's basically the two points that I want to make for us this morning. So firstly, I want you to notice, I want to show you how our gathering together as an appetizer whets our appetite for the future meal that will be coming. So uh, hopefully you've got a Bible. If you do, we're going to be jumping around a lot of different places this morning. This isn't the normal pattern that we have, so next week we're going to be starting off uh, back in Malachi, and so we'll be able to go one place and camp there, but this morning we're going to be jumping around a little bit. The verses will be on the screen uh, if you don't want to try to keep up, but we're going to start over in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going to be, and so Paul writes 1 Corinthians 2, obviously the Christians in Corinth, and if you've read this book, you know the Christians in Corinth have a lot wrong. When they gather together, there is chaos, there is division, there is frustration, there is boasting, there is bragging. When they sit down to eat of the Lord's Supper, there's division. Some are getting drunk, some are going hungry. There is all kinds of nonsense happening, and Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth, and he tells them that they need to cut it out. He tells them that God is a God of order that God brings good things, that God brings peace, and their gathering should be a reflection of that peace. And in 1 Corinthians 14, I want to look at verses 24 and 25, 
Paul has been talking to them about tongues and about prophecy. And here's what he says in verse 24. He says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, normally when people read this passage, they tend to get caught up in all of the arguments that are happening about tongues and about prophecies, and they wander off in discussions of whether these gifts are still available, or whether they're not, whether they died out with the apostles, or whether they're still going. But I want you to notice the last five words. Paul says that when this outsider comes into the gathering of saints, what is it that he or she notices? He declares that God is really among you. And so, church, as we sit here together this morning, what may not feel like much, what may not have the the grand pomp and show that a lot of other gatherings do, this is the place where God is present in, with, and among his people. This is what happens when we gather together. We who are filled with the Spirit come together and God shows up in our midst. I want you to know, this is no small potatoes. This is a a big, big deal. In fact, if you know your Bible very well at all, or if you were with us when we went through Revelation, you know where all this is heading is one day God will be with us in an even fuller way, right? This is our appetizer. The coming meal will be like the appetizer, only more so. So I want to show you how big of a deal this God being in the midst of his people is. This is just one way that I want to show you how this whets our appetite for what is to come. So all the way back in the book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. He establishes this garden, and he places Adam in the midst of the garden. And one of the things that we read in Genesis 2 is that God and Adam walked in the garden. I don't know exactly what all this means, but it certainly involves God and man being present together, being with one another in a way that we have ever since longed to return to. You know the story. Turn the next page in your Bible. You get to Genesis 3, and sin comes in, and Adam and Eve, because of their sin, are pressed out of the garden, and there is a rift between God and between his humans. This is a deep, deep problem that the rest of the Bible has constantly hovering in the background, looking for God to fix, for God to restore, for God to do what only God can do, and this separation between God and between humanity is a theme that returns over and over and over. And so by the time you get to the book of Exodus, we'll have this on the screen, Exodus 29, the people have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They are in the wilderness, and they are getting, Moses is getting commands for the tabernacle. And the point, God says, of the tabernacle, verse 45, is this. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Where has all this been heading? It's been heading towards the reunification of God with his people. And so Moses builds the tabernacle, and what happens? The tabernacle is filled with smoke, 
We're given this picture that God has come to reside among his people, and God and human are together again. This gets replayed again after Solomon builds the temple. It, too, is filled with smoke, and there is this place where God and his people can dwell together. This isn't fully what we're after, and in fact, this gets destroyed, and and Jeremiah is then sent, so we're fast-forwarding several hundred years, and Jeremiah speaks of a greater thing to come. In Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, Jerusalem, which you say, it's given into the hands of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them, I will gather my people from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and in my wrath, And in great indignation, I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell in safety. And what? They shall be my people, and I will be their God. There's this longingly looking forward to the day when God and man can dwell together as they were supposed to. Well, the people are brought back from exile. This doesn't seem to have happened. And you get to the book of John. And in John chapter 1, we read of something beautiful happening. John, describing Jesus, says this in John 1.14. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, resided among us. How is it that God and his people will dwell together? Well, in Jesus... God has come to dwell among his people. And he doesn't stop there, right? Because after Jesus ascended, Jesus sends his very spirit to us. And in Acts 2, we read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, Jesus' disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does that sound like? Hopefully this reminds you of the tabernacle, of the temple. What happens when God shows up? Well, both of those times, these places were filled with smoke. Well, God shows up in Acts 2. He pours his spirit out onto his people, and flames of fire come down. How will God dwell in the midst of his people? Well, right now, the way that God is dwelling with his people is through his spirit. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. I'd like you to look around. Like, really, look around. As you see the people who are gathered in this room, those who are following Jesus, who are worshiping Jesus, here's something true that we don't pay enough attention to. These people around you are those who have the Spirit, and as we gather together, God is indeed in our midst. How is what was happily true in the garden, broken in Genesis 3, and this rupture that happens between God and humanity, how does this get resolved? Right now, 
the way that it's resolved is God comes to dwell in his people by his spirit and his people gather together. And so when we are gathered together, we're singing his praises, when we're praying together, when we're listening to the word preached, when we're greeting one another in the hallways, in passing, God is dwelling in the midst of his people. Don't move too quickly past what happens here on Sunday morning. It's not nothing. It is something far more glorious than we realize often enough. God is indeed in our midst. And and glory of glories, this is only an appetizer of what is to come. right? Because where does this story go? Well, it doesn't stop with where we are now. It, It culminates in Revelation 21, where all of this happens, but even more so. So let me just read a couple verses out of Revelation 21. We were there not long ago, so I won't spend much time here, but I want you to see this. Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, What? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. This is the meal, if you will, that we're looking forward to. One day, we will dwell in full with our God. Until that day, we gather week after week, and we participate, partake of this appetizer of Jesus' people gathered together present with and before our God. This is a glorious thing that is happening here at Miller Heights and all around the city and all around the world as local churches gather together and fix their eyes on Jesus. This is to borrow the language from Paul. Currently, we see through a mirror dimly, but one day we will see face to face. Right? Right? The problem isn't we don't see at all. The problem isn't God isn't with us at all. The thing is, God is with us in measure, but one day Jesus returns and we will be with God in full. That is the meal that we are looking forward to, and as we gather and see God present in our midst, that whets our appetite for what is to come. We've talked about a lot of things in this Why We Gather series, and I want to show you a couple of those in related to what we're talking about right now. So the first week, we talked about our gathering glorifies God. So why do we gather together? Well, the first thing that we said is we gather together because Jesus tells us to, and it brings glory to him. Amen. That's true. But notice this. Our gathering is in obedience to Jesus and bringing glory to Jesus right now, but one day it will do so even more so when we gather before Jesus and we see him face to face. And uh, we've talked about how our gathering together taunts the principalities and powers because we declare that our loyalty is to Jesus and we don't give our loyalty to the idols that are around us, but yet we still find ourselves attracted to these idols. And so our gathering functions as a taunt of them, but one day even more so. 
we gather, we said a couple weeks ago, to pursue unity. Yet we know we're a fractured bunch. We're easily divided. We don't forgive quickly and fully enough. And so we pursue unity, but one day, far from our appetizer, we land on the meal and our unity will be what it is now, yet even more so. And so this gathering together whets our appetite for what is to come. What is to come is like what is, but even, even more so. The other thing that our gathering together does is it holds us over for the coming and glorious meal. This leads us to live differently right now, right? And this is true not because we're better than other people, but because we have an appetizer. So I want you to imagine walking into a restaurant. And as you walk into that restaurant, you see two tables. And over on your left is one table, and they've got several kids, and these kids are happily munching away on chips. That table is having a good time. They're laughing. They're enjoying being with one another. And you look over to the right, and you see another table. And this table looks a lot like the table on the left. There's several kids around there. Uh, the family is gathered together. Uh, but there's no chips on the table. And the kids are complaining. And the kids are whining. And the parents are frustrated because the kids are frustrated. And that table, instead of the peace and happiness that was at this table, this table has no peace and has no happiness. Well, question. Are the tables different because this table has better kids than that table? No. What's the difference? The difference is this table has some food to munch on, and this table does not. And so church, as we gather together, as we enjoy this appetizer, as we enjoy being in God's presence alongside of one another, this leads us to live differently right now. This is true because God has promised to make all things new, and, and when all things are made new, God will indeed dwell with his people fully. God's will will be done here on earth as in heaven. His name will be hallowed. But it, in a beautiful move, God has made us new in advance by giving us his very spirit. Right? So you remember the language that Paul has? Paul says that God gives us his spirit as a down payment. And so we don't have to wait till the far, far future to experience the glory that happens when Jesus makes all things new. Jesus has already made you and me new by giving us his very spirit. And one of the things this means is this means that our gathering together can function like a shelter in the midst of a storm. All right, so we know life as a Christian is not an easy life. We're plagued by temptation. We're plagued by a world that doesn't see Jesus for who he is. These things are difficult for us. But Jesus hasn't left us on our own, and he hasn't left us without his presence. In fact, Jesus has given us, if you will, an appetizer that will hold us over to the end. And so when we gather week after week, we enter a place of peace, we enter a place of refuge. We enter a place of shelter where we're able to see God's work in other people, 
where we're able to join our voices to other people who love Jesus and cherish Jesus and look forward to his return. We're reminded that we're not alone. We're reminded by others who are enduring faithfully through the week. And in a way, this prepares us for our week as we go out because we're reminded, we're encouraged, we're helped, we're given sustenance and encouragement to continue pursuing Jesus. When we have long, weary, difficult seasons, we find ourselves in need of this constant and continued help. I can remember a couple occasions in my life where things have just fallen apart. And I found myself in a position where I didn't feel that I could joyfully and fully sing praises to Jesus. In fact, it was the last thing that I wanted to do, but I found myself wanting something different. I found myself wanting to be in the midst of God's people so that I could listen to them sing the praises that I knew was true, but I didn't actually feel to be true. And as I gathered among God's people, there was this kind of healing balm that washed over me. Because the truths that I knew, that I didn't feel, I could listen to others joyfully sing, and over weeks of doing that, of hearing that, of seeing that, God used that to bring healing and hope. And so often our our desire when we feel in the pits of despair and struggle is to withdraw from God's people. But when a meal is late in coming, you don't withdraw from the appetizer. You run to the appetizer. And when we find ourselves in the pits of despair, don't withdraw from God's people. Go and gather with them. Let them sing the truths that you know to be true but can't sing. Let the scripture that you know to be inspired by God and healing bringing be washed over you. Let healing come by gathering with God's people. And as we gather together with God's people, we often find ourselves wakened from our lackadaisical slumber. Right? How, how often, those of you that have been following Jesus for a while, how often have you found yourself present among Jesus' people and had a light bulb go off and realize that you're just kind of going through the motions? You're not laboring hard to follow Jesus. You're just drifting. You're kind of sleepwalking. And as you gather with Jesus' people, Jesus, by his Spirit, uses that to wake you from your slumber. He stirs you up and holds on to you until the final meal comes. This is what our gathering does. And so in this vein of, of looking ahead to our final meal, of this being something that holds us over, let me give you a warning and let me give you an encouragement. Let me give you the warning first. I want you to think, how rare is it for someone to give up and quit in their pursuit of Jesus or How rare is it for someone to just continue slumbering forever while regularly gathering together with God's people? Like, how often do you see that happen? I don't know if 
really ever, at least certainly very, very rare, what tends to happen? What tends to happen is we begin to adjust priorities. And we find it easy to be present with God's people less and less and and less. And, And as we do that, there's a separation that's built up between us and God's people. And it's only at that point that people tend to give up and quit. It's only at that point that people tend to continue in their lackadaisical slumber. Why is that? It's because God shows up when his people are gathered, and when God shows up, we are given encouragement to press on. We are given the help that we need to continue to encourage and to persist until we have the joy of participating in the final meal. And so the warning for you is that it starts small, almost undetectable. And over time, that gets easier, and it gets easier, and it gets easier, and all of a sudden, quitting which never before felt like a viable option, begins to seem kind of reasonable. So there's a warning for you, but I want to give you an encouragement as well. When you go to a restaurant and the food takes longer than you expect, maybe there's a spill in the kitchen or or maybe they're understaffed or for whatever reason the food is, is taking longer, Think how much in that moment you appreciate the appetizer, right? What before was just something nice now becomes something needed. Well, here you and I sit. Jesus told his first disciples, first disciples, that he was coming soon. Well, we're 2,000 years removed from that now, and here we wait. Clearly, God's timing is not our timing. But as we continue to persist in waiting for Jesus to return, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you one thing we do. We keep gathering. Because when food takes a long time to come out, the appetizer becomes all the more necessary. And so you don't want to grow bitter. You don't want to give up. You don't want to quit. You want to keep enduring and pressing on. Well, here's something for you to do. Keep on keeping on. Gather together with Jesus' people, and Jesus will give you the encouragement that you need. So with all of that said, in theory, I guess, it's possible to join that great last meal and skip the appetizer. But who does that? Right? You risk crankiness from your hunger. And who wants to be cranky? You suffer through the pains, the trials, the heartache, the tears of this life on your own without a foretaste, without an appetizer of the joy that is coming soon. You find yourself not real sure what to expect when Jesus does return. Are you expecting Mexican food or Italian food? But it's as we gather together that we see this ragtag group 
who maybe has not much in common except for our love of Jesus. And that points us forward to the day, Revelation 4 and 5, where there's people from every tribe and every culture and every nation and every time period gathered together before Jesus and before his throne. And it's as we gather together that we gain an idea of what it is that we should be expecting. If you skip out on the appetizer, you find yourself far from being happy with the things that are around you, you find yourself waiting in the parking lot outside while the rest are inside enjoying the appetizer. And at that point, I think you may find yourself wondering just how valuable sports are, just how valuable sleeping in is, just how valuable your TV or your video games or your hunting and your fishing or your traveling, all these things that seem so enticing, so encouraging, so fun, when you find yourself sitting in the parking lot realizing that you're missing out on the meal before the meal, you may come to realize that that actually isn't all that valuable. What the world holds before us and waves as beautiful and shining is often simply a distraction. So friends, let me encourage you. Don't miss out on God's good gifts. His people gathered together is a source of help. It's an encouragement for you and and for me. It gives us endurance. It gives us joy when we have no other reason for joy. And it will give you a place of refuge in weary, frightening and destructive storms. So that's why we're here together. We've gathered to enjoy this appetizer and fix our eyes on the glorious meal that is indeed coming. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we find a sense of of joy and waiting on you because we know that that in a world of broken promises and a world filled with shaky crumbly things that you are neither of those we find and we believe that you indeed are true that you are trustworthy and that your promises are sure and so as we eagerly look forward to the day when all that is broken will be fixed, when our war and struggle with sin will be done, when you will dwell fully and finally with your people. As we look forward to that day, may we find a a refuge in gathering together with your people, in enjoying being in your presence, Lord, may that give us the encouragement and the endurance that we need to not give up, to not grow weary, to not quit, to not grow lackadaisical or in love with sin. May may that continued prodding and presence of your people, may that lead us to holiness, we pray. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning in our church pray for those who are present in churches all around our city and around your globe. Would you give them the encouragement to just keep pressing on? 
May they not neglect the gathering of the saints. We pray that you would do that for your glory. We pray that you would do that for our joy. Amen.